Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Hello everyone and welcome. I am joined today by Dr. Anika Molesworth, who is a, uh, a PhD and uh, an author, um, an environmentalist, someone working in climate action, um, and we're very, uh, very excited for her to join us here today. Anika, thank you for joining. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Steve. A real pleasure. Now, whereabouts, whereabouts are you right now? Where are you joining us from? So I'm joining you from my family's farm in far western New South Wales in, on Willakali land here. And if you haven't been to far western New South Wales, it is a starkly beautiful part of the country of ruby red soils and sapphire blue skies. That sounds amazing. What is, what is it the, the family um, grows and, and farms out there? Well, we have been farming um, African breed of sheep and goats. Uh, in, the, in on this property so we have 10,000 acres here um, but we have uh, had many years of drought uh, we're going into our fifth year of drought now and so we are now yeah de-stocked of our livestock so um, yeah just looking at the skies waiting for rain and also having those conversations around the dinner table about what's the future of farming in this region yeah there will have been a lot of that in Western New South Wales over the last few years. I know other parts of the country have been fortunate to have uh, had some decent rain over the last little while. We're in the midst of a record uh, wheat harvest in different parts of Western Australia and uh, New South Wales um, as well, which is great for great for some. Um, What's the forecast? So I, I, I never talk to a farmer without asking about rain. Uh, is there any expectation that you're going to see some soon? We had heat waves over the last few days. Yeah, it's been pretty warm. Um, yeah, even in spring, late spring, we were getting many days over 40 degrees. So pretty hot. Um, look, we occasionally see rain forecasts on the on the weather app, but um, mm. <laughs> sometimes it actually eventuates. Most likely, it, it doesn't. Most often, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, some parts of the country they've been terribly lucky to get rainfall, which has been fantastic. But yeah, I think it's important to remember that when it rains in some parts of the country, it doesn't mean everyone's out of the drought. And so a lot of people, including myself, are still facing those very dry times. Mm. And this is this is one of the effects, and it's not the only one, but it's certainly one of the effects of climate change that we're already seeing in Australia is uh, essentially the, the shift towards extremes in terms of how much rain is falling and where it's falling. Um, and we're, we're certainly in the midst of seeing uh, a, a real shift in our, in our rainfall patterns. Um, we have to do something about it. Um, what, and as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, you're part of Farmers for Climate Action. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what 
FCA is up to? Yeah, so uh, Farmers for Climate Action formed about five years ago when a group of uh, around 30 farmers got together and said, look, we're, we're on the front lines of climate change. We can look out the kitchen window and see the impacts of droughts, floods, bushfires. We're feeling the impacts on our livelihoods, on our productivity, and that has huge impacts. It impacts everyone. Every meal on every plate is impacted by climate change. And so this small group of farmers decided we're going to establish um, you know, a movement, uh, mm. something that can create positive change. So Farmers for Climate Action was born out of that. Fast forward to now, five years later, and we have 5,000 farming members, around 30,000 non-farming members. Mm -hmm. So we're quite a movement now. Yep. Um, and we're working in various aspects. Mm. Um, one of those is to bring leading researchers to the food production regions, mm -hmm. you know, connect scientists with the people who are growing our food so mm -hmm. they understand what are the projections, how can they adapt on-farm practices, how can they reduce emissions from their farming system. Mm -hmm. We also work very closely in changing the narrative, in getting these honest, heartfelt stories into mainstream press, talking about what climate challenge actually means for the food se sector, but also yep. talking about the opportunities. And mm. there are so many opportunities in Australia and the farming sector. Yep. And then lastly, we're also working very closely with industry bodies, such as, um, you know, the National Farmers Federation, the Grains Groups, the mm -hmm. Wool Group, um, and our elected representatives. Because obviously, to get that transformative change that is required we actually need a roadmap to the future. We need better climate, agriculture, and energy policies. Yes, we do. Now, the um, I, I, I say it that way because we don't have them um, and we're, we're desperate for them. What we've been seeing recently is uh, some progress at a state level. Um, I think we, we recently saw some quite progressive uh, policy around energy in particular from New South Wales, from the state government in New South Wales, which was really, really welcome. Um, and they have joined, you know, the, the rest of the state governments in putting forward some, um, you know, and some reasonably progressive plans in terms of uh, addressing climate change um, and particularly around uh, reducing emissions. Most of what they're doing is looking at reducing emissions around electricity, uh, like our, our energy generation. Nothing on transport, not a lot on agriculture. Most of that's coming from the industry itself. So groups like the um, the uh, Meat and Livestock Association with their goal for uh, net zero emissions by 2030, which again is quite progressive and, and really good to see. At a federal level, not so much. No, and that's a, a real shame because not only are we so at risk of the climate change threats, of the increased frequency and intensity of extreme weather events like droughts and floods and bushfires, but we are missing some real opportunities. I mean, we are the sunniest and one of the windiest continents on Earth. There is huge um, opportunity for renewable energies to be powering our homes, our businesses, our schools, mm. uh, for these projects to be set up on farms. I mean, farmers have expansive parcels of land to put solar panels, wind turbines on them. Mm -hmm. You know, that would give farmers secondary and stable sources of income, you know, opportunities to ride out the rough times like the drought. Yes. We have long been food and fibre producers. Why can't mm -hmm. we be energy producers as well?
Mm. Australia's chief climate, uh, sorry, Australia's chief scientist has repeatedly said that Australia could be exporting renewable energy because that's how much we could be producing here. So that's why I'm so passionate about, Mm. you know, advocating for greater climate change action. Mm. It's not only to avoid these massive horrific effects that we are already seeing today, but as to actually achieve, you know, it's actually to realise these opportunities, you know, tap into this brighter, more vibrant, more productive future that is within reach, but we are denying ourselves of. We really are. We um, we were, uh, you, you touched um, briefly on this, um, this this concept of our, of our food systems, and I'm, I'm interested in, in your book, um, where you talk about the food system, can you can you tell me more about like what what that means for you in the context of that book and and some of the themes that you're looking at exploring? Sure. So yes, this year I've been writing my first book, which has been terribly exciting, and I've been interviewing people around the world and right along the food system. Okay. So from farmers to climate scientists, advocates, nutritionists, chefs, to, um, you know, the cooks in the kitchen and talking with them about, okay, well, what does climate change mean to you? Okay. And climate change means to food um, a a disrupted food system. Yep. In many situations, it means, uh, you know, changes in what can be produced and where it can be produced, Mm -hmm. reduced availability of food, higher food prices and reduced nutritional value of food. Right. And we are all very much involved in the food system. I mean, it, it, food is life. Mm-hmm. We also think of, you know, food waste. Um, there is so much waste. I think in Australia we, we throw out um, every third or fourth supermarket bag of food. Like yeah. the waste here is horrendous. I think it's about 30%. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, if food waste was a country, it would be the the world's third largest emitter. And so just by changing things within the food system, Mm. how we're consuming, what we're consuming, how we're wasting it, um, how we're producing that food, there could be, you know, that could make a huge difference to the climate change story. Mm. We have... um you know, we, we, we talk about um, the distances in Australia and Australia is a, is a, is a large uh, country. We move our food around a lot. Um, you know, the distances from where it's uh, grown to where it's sold to where it's processed to where it's sold again, um, the storage along the way. Like we, we, we move our food hundreds and hundreds of kilometres every time um, and that's one example of where we're um, we're using resources that we don't necessarily have to, where we can impact the the design of that system um, to think a little bit more about um, the end-to-end uh, picture, um, mm. think a little bit more about it. But where where are you seeing those opportunities as you sort of uh, talk to those different groups all along the food supply chain? Where are you seeing those uh, those opportunities for us to have impact? Yeah, well, I think it's highly context-specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the way that myself and my family manage our property will be different from the way my neighbour does. 
because we have different labor resources, financial resources, the soil yeah. types are slightly different. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is no um, broad brush of what needs to be done or what can be done. So that's what makes the agricultural sector um, challenging, but also incredibly exciting. I mean, in Australia, we have such a diverse, um, you know, geography. We produce every food and fibre under the sun here. And so the solutions will be quite unique in, in you know, whichever food or fibre industry you're looking at and whereabouts in the country it is. Yep. But, gen but generally, look, when we talk about what can be done at the consumer end, we talk mm -hmm. about, you know, eating local, seasonal, nutrient-dense foods, you mm -hmm. know, trying to limit um, consumption of highly processed foods, which have higher okay. um, carbon footprints, mm -hmm. and, of course, reducing food wastage. Uh, at the production side of end, you know, on farm, we're looking at managing soil resources, maintaining yep. or improving carbon in the soil. Mm -hmm. It's looking at, you know, the, the vegetation, the native wildlife, improving biodiversity where one can. It's looking after animal welfare. Mm. Um, it's, it's working very closely with the scientists to the researchers to continually improve our understanding of how this world works and, you know, the best human interaction with it. There's a lot there. Um, where, where do we start? Where, where do we begin? Like what's, what's step one for us? Um, hmm. Like the agricultural sector is responsible for what, 22, 25% of Australia's emissions, depending on sort of where you stop um, and, and exactly what you include. Where, where do we begin? Hmm. So where do we begin? Well, you know, the climate science has been there for decades, telling yeah. us that we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. So the question is, well, why have we ended up in the situation we have in now, 2020? Why are we still on a really alarming trajectory that it's going to get worse? Mm. When we had that evidence base, when we've had that evidence for a long time. Yep. And that's a question that I've been thinking about for a long time. I think we have lost our connection with nature. Mm -hmm. We have lost that emotional connection, um, that sense of belonging, that sense of respect, that sense of love and care for the natural world. Mm -hmm. We have detached ourselves from it and, you know, for some bizarre <laughs> reason, thought that we humans operate completely separately from the planet. Mm. And we need to absolutely get rid of that mentality. And I think that comes from quite a, a basic um, point that we actually need to reconnect with our natural world. And maybe that's spending time with nature. Maybe mm. that's actually looking at the food on our plate and thinking just for a few minutes, like, where did that actually come from? Who was actually involved in growing those tomatoes? Where, where did that apple travel from? Like where around the world? What was involved? Yep. And I think when you build that respect for just the meal on your plate, mm. you're much less likely to scrape it into the bin at the end of the night, you know, to have those leftovers, oh, yeah. to throw yeah. that, you know, that loaf of bread in the bin. So, yeah, I think it comes from what we need to do now is is have a, a change of 
heart and mind, which will then ultimately lead to a behavior change. So my work is very much involved, well, how do you take the science that we know and it's continually improving every day yeah. and use it to educate people, but then engage them, engage them at, at a, an emotional level. So they actually feel connected with what you're saying and then they actually feel empowered to do something about it, that they don't see the science of climate change as something that's abstract, irrelevant, overly academic, but they go, okay, I get why that drought is impacting that meat on my plate. Mm. And I know I'm going to do something different in my household, in my capacity, that's going to make a positive difference, that's going to have a flow-on effect through this food system. I, it, it feels like after last summer, um, you know, where the east coast of Australia was a blaze from, you know, Queensland all the way down into the um, southern parts of Victoria, that there is um, a much clearer and a much more obvious appreciation for just how bad this is already um, yep. and, and how much worse it might get if we don't do something significant. I think we're starting to see much more strident calls for change, um, mm. a lot more pressure. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about the uh, outcome of the most recent uh, US election, but that seems to uh, bode well for global action on climate change. Um, I think uh, John Kerry as an ambassador for, for the climate, um, at like the US ambassador for, for climate change will have a big impact on the sorts of international pressure that Australia starts to see um, coupled with uh, what seems to be quite an appetite in the electorate uh, and in society for change. Hopefully 2021 will start to see some sort of significant strides and, um, you know, start to see that policy coming in at the national level. Yeah, absolutely. And we do need policy change to get to that transformative change that's needed because, you know, mm -hmm. the rate and the scale of climate change is demanding us to do something quite mm -hmm. different. And I reflect on the COVID crisis mm -hmm. and, you know, what lessons can be learnt from that response <laughs> uh, that can be applied to the climate crisis. Yep. And I think the world changed so quickly with the, the COVID crisis is because people feared COVID was coming into their lives, was coming into their house, yes. and they would do whatever that was needed. They would listen to the, the government's advice. They would listen to the science. They were, you know, they were aware of it. It was in their news feeds every day. Um, and they changed their behaviours. People changed their behaviours incredibly quickly, you know, over yes. a matter of weeks. Yeah. People around the world changed their behaviour. So climate change is impacting people now. It is in people's houses now, mm. but people aren't realising that. Yeah. And so we have to communicate climate change a lot better, the mm. threat that it poses us. Mm. And when I say we, that's all of us. You know, our government has to be much more vocal in saying, mm. like, this is a serious threat. This is how it's going to impact 
your family, your community, your workplace, our economy. So mm. we're going to have to change what we're doing and we're going to have to change. And it's going to be difficult. It might be unpleasant. It might be disruptive, but the outcome is yeah. worth it. We are going to end up in a better place. Mm. So it is a change of narrative that will help us change behavior um, and, yeah, and save the planet. That's, that's all. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a simple thing, um, but we just don't seem to have wrapped our heads around the urgency of this, um, yeah. not like we did with COVID. I mean, the, the Australian government so far has committed, I think, $320 billion at last estimate or an estimate I heard uh, yesterday um, in COVID um, relief and, and various related measures to protect the economy and um, stimulate growth and, you know, recover and all of those sorts of things, 300-odd billion dollars. 300-odd billion dollars spent fighting climate change would be incredible. It would be an incredible change. The, um, the amount that the New South Wales government has just committed to shifting the energy sector in New South Wales um, towards, you know, 100% renewables it's 30 billion, it's one-tenth of that. Um, yep. And we're one of the largest energy markets in the in the country and we're one of the ones that's heavily reliant on coal. So, um, you know, $30 billion goes an awfully long way. We've spent $300 billion, uh, on COVID and yet we seem to only be able to scratch, you know, a couple of billion here on emissions reductions or, you know, $1.9 billion in the last... Uh, federal budget for, um, you know, uh, the technology um, infrastructure, uh, technology investments around climate change. It's peanuts relative to the type of issue that we're dealing with. That, that question around narratives, um, we, we really do need to do a better job of communicating both the urgency of the issue, but also the sorts of things that we can all begin doing. Absolutely. Imagine if we turned on the, the TV and every day our premiers, our political leaders were giving a press conference on this is the climate crisis. Hmm. This is the threat we are being faced with. This is what our research team is working on. This is the, the strategy we're going to take to get out of this crisis, to restore our economy, to make sure we have you know stability in our communities for the long term. That's what they've been doing for COVID and yeah. it's worked. Yeah. People have listened, people have tuned in, people have taken it seriously and mm -hmm. uh, Australia's doing pretty good. Obviously, we can't see into the future. But, <laughs> but we have handled it well. Exactly, absolutely. And they are lessons that we can apply to the climate crisis. If we had that kind of attention, awareness, um, you know, dedication to solve this problem of climate change, like we have had on the COVID situation, hmm. imagine where we would be. We would be in a lot better situation. Anika, let's leave it there. Thank you so much. Um, can you tell us when is your book uh, due out or is that a painful question to ask you right now? So it's being reviewed by the publisher at the Wonderful. moment. So I'm, okay. I'm nervously awaiting feedback, but I'm hoping, you know, mid to late next year, it will probably be on the shelves. That's wonderful. We look forward to seeing it. Thank you so much for your time today and for, for helping us to better understand both climate change uh, and uh, some of the impacts on our food system. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Mm -hmm.